you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Uh, we are continuing our series called Summer on the Mount. And before we dive into our uh, topic for this morning, just want to thank those of you who are joining us here. Whether it's your very first time, whether you've been with us for years, uh, we're grateful to have this time together. And we honor you for taking the time to be able to see what God might have for you through time of worship, with us singing, through time of diving into God's word, uh, through the warmth and community of the people around, um, and just the opportunity to come together to see, learn more about the Lord and draw closer to him during this time than we were when we first walked in or before you first turned on your screen. Now, today is a fun day, a special day uh, in the Shafar's household as we are celebrating Elise's eighth birthday today. So um, here's a picture of her right at the very beginning. Um, and she was born at 11, 18 p.m. So this must have been uh, the next day. Um, and just being able to, to see her uh, growing up, there's a picture, I didn't, I didn't put it up this time, but uh, just the picture of her and Shaylin meeting each other for the first time, um, at least didn't have much to say, but she, uh, she has plenty to say now. And so um, one of those where it's just really sweet to be able to have that moment and to remember what life was like eight years ago and, and remember what it was like um, even before having kids all together, but just thinking about how little she was and and the size she is. And then here's a picture of her this morning on her eighth birthday. And um, I know, right, the odds are valid. And so just this, uh, this moment of recognizing, like, how much she's grown. And, yes, we could talk about, like, physical measurements, right? Like, she's gotten taller and she weighs more. Um, also, just the fact you can't, you can't see here, uh, she lost uh, her second front tooth uh, last night. So we say goodbye to year seven and tooth number four uh, yesterday. Um, but just being able to think about the way she's growing up, the way that we measure her growth. Is it by height? Is it by, you know, teeth missing? Is it by the different abilities she's able to do, the different experiences she's able to have? And we think about this question, how do we measure? How do you and I measure growth? Because if you were to, you know, you know growing up I had a... Um, Maybe some of you did too, where a door jam, where you would like line up and you stand up and you would like measure how tall you were. My height has not increased in many years, right? And we get to a certain age where rumor has it, I refuse to believe it, but rumor has it that we actually get a little bit shorter uh, at some point. No, not looking forward to that. But just this idea of, you know, maybe my height hasn't changed. I haven't grown that way. But hopefully if I were to look back on the past several years, there'd be ways in which I've grown. Maybe for you. Maybe there's different abilities that you have now. Maybe you've gone to school. Maybe you've been able to graduate. Maybe you've been able to get a new job or a new role. Maybe you've seen your family grow. Maybe there's different ways in which you measure growth. That's not always just the physical um, that you might see, but it's relationally, emotionally, spiritually. And so the question we're going to ask today as we look at Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 12 is how do we measure growth? How do we measure it? Now, in your notes, it might say, how do we measure up as a notes page? Uh, Don't worry, that's my fault. I changed the sermon title after this went to print. But the idea is, how do we measure the ways that we've grown? 
We're going to ask a few questions. It's not like a pop quiz like last week, but we are going to ask some questions we wrestle with because, friends, this passage this morning is a passage that's a little difficult. We're going to talk about judgment. We're going to talk about hypocrisy. We're going to talk about pearls before swine. We're going to talk about treating one another the way we want to be treated. There's a lot in these 12 verses together. So I'm going to ask that as we navigate this passage, that if and when there are times when what we talk about might be a little difficult, just stay with me as we continue to see what the Lord has for us this morning. Because hopefully, as we talked about in the beginning this morning, the idea that we would hope that each of us would draw a little bit closer to the Lord, that we would grow a little bit closer to him today before than we were when we first came in and before we first turned on our screen. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we see what God has for us this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether live in person, live online, or watching or listening later throughout the week. Lord, each person who hears my voice is someone that is loved by you, created, shaped, formed by you. Each person who hears my voice, Jesus, is someone you died for. And Holy Spirit, each person who hears my voice is someone that you want to draw closer to the Father today. I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And may we grow closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to unpack this idea of Matthew chapter 7. And as we get started there, um, the word that is inside here I want to emphasize, we're going to talk about this idea of measuring throughout our sermon this morning. And so the first idea I want us to unpack is to think about this idea of we're going to look at equal measure, unequal measure, and beyond measure. So that's, if you're a note taker, you want to write those out ahead of time, great. If not, no worries. The first one, we're going to talk about this, equal measure. The question for us to find out if how much we've grown is, are we moving from microscopes to mirrors? And you might think, what does that have to do with anything? Well, we'll unpack that in just a moment. Here's what the scripture says, starting in Matthew 7, starting in verses 1 through 2. It says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Now we're going to land again on this word measure in a moment. But before we do, it's important for us to get a context or a concept of what the idea of do not judge means. Because when we say things now, like, hey, don't judge me. It's like when, I, when we do something and I'll talk about geocaching is something that I know is kind of nerdy, but I'm like, hey, it's what I like to do. Don't judge me, right? Like we use it either as something just to say, hey, you know, don't, don't make fun of me or don't tell me that I'm wrong or, or don't, you know, look down on me, right? Now, what we're going to talk about here is it's not just the idea of judging between right and wrong because we're going to see throughout this passage, even as soon as verse six, and then tomorrow when we look at verses 13 through, or excuse me, next week, when we look at verses 13 through 27, there are times when it's not judging as in destroying someone or tearing them down, but it is discerning true and false, right and wrong, good fruit and bad fruit. I mean, we're going to unpack this together. So let's, un let's look at here this idea of what judging is. There's a quotation I want to share with you from a commentator uh, named D.A. Carson who says this, much of the confusion in this passage is resolved when the semantic range of the Greek word translated judge is understood. To judge can mean to discern, to judge judiciously, which is always like whenever you use the word again within its own definition, it's always a little funny. It's like, what's a runner? One who, someone who runs runningly. And you're like, that doesn't help me any, but it's okay. 
I, I digress. To be judgmental, to condemn either judicially or otherwise. The context must determine the precise shade of meaning. The context here argues that the verse means do not be judgmental or specifically do not adopt a critical spirit or a condemning attitude. So we're going to talk about in a moment when it says, you know, don't judge something. Like if, you, if a brother has a, a speck in their eye and you have a log in yours, the idea of it is this is a brother. This is someone that has the same faith as you or the same background. And you're saying, okay, I notice in your life there's something that isn't as it should be. But before we have a critical attitude in which we think, well, we have it all together, so my job is to be speck picker out of people's eyes, it's recognizing that we need to step back. It's recognizing that some of us, when we have a critical spirit, a condemning attitude, it's like we take everybody's actions and intentions and we put them under a microscope. And we drill in and we look down and we try to look really deeply and think, oh, I'm going to take every little thing that you do and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to judge you for it. And the problem is, is that if we think that our job is to be speck picker outers of other people, and then we fail to see the areas of our lives that need to be adjusted, one, we're not going to help them out, but B, or two, we're going to be hypocritical. And so it's moving from the idea of a, a microscope that we're looking in and zooming in and trying to ascertain other people's actions and judge them for it with a condemning attitude. And moving to the idea of a mirror, of looking and seeing where are the critical attitudes and the condemning spirits within me. We continue on. Verse 2, when we revisit it, talks about, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So this idea of measure is something that um, I'm wrestling with a lot in our passage today. So I'm going to use some visual aids. Uh, if you've been with us recently, um, I'm not going to use rocks. I'm not going to pour water on things. But we're going to have a visual aid that will hopefully help us a little bit this morning. Because he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Stephen Covey has a quotation I want to share. It says this, we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behaviors. Let me give an example. If I'm in a hurry and I run a red light, I think to myself, well, I didn't intend to run a red light. The problem is, is I'm running late for a meeting. I know people are waiting for me and I need to make it through this red light because if I do that, then I might be able to be there on time. And so it's justified in my mind to run a red light. But if we are sitting somewhere and we're sitting and we see someone else run a red light, we don't think through all the different intentions they might. They might, well, maybe they're trying to visit someone in the hospital. Maybe they have an important meeting. They have, no, we say, oh, they're bad people. Or, oh, they, they're, like, they're doing a wrong thing. And so we look at their actions, but we justify with our own intentions. And I think this is something that, that we do all the time. So, so what it's saying here is that, listen, if you're going to be someone that you're going to you're going to measure, you're going to judge, you're going to discern with other people. You're going to see where it is. Use the equal measure. Don't give yourself a less than measure. Don't give yourself, oh, I'm only going to judge myself a little bit, but I'm going to judge them far more. Why? Because if we don't have the same measure, the equal measure of discerning our own faults and discerning our own brokenness and discerning our own critical spirits and condemning attitudes, then we become people who think it's my job to be the speck picker outer and microscope every single thing that other people do. And as we do that, we miss what God is trying to teach us. And so we think, okay, yeah, no, I, I need to be critical to myself. I need to be aware and discerning, but 
if I'm trying so hard to do more for other people than what I'm even aware of evaluating for myself, that I'm not living with equal measure. I'm living still under the idea of microscopes rather than the idea of a mirror. We continue on as we look in this passage is to say this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's saying if you're going to try to help someone else, which again, we're called to be able to come alongside people to say, hey, I'm discerning what you're doing is either right or wrong. What we're not called to do and what we are warned against is being critical and condemning to people. Because as we've just seen throughout this passage, we know all the depths of our own depravity. We know that if just thinking about hatred towards someone is murder, then we're murderers. If we know that just thinking about someone lustfully is adultery, if we know that just our thoughts can equal sinfulness based on how we give into it, then we know that our depths of how we measure judging other people or discerning them has to be just as strict, if not more, for ourselves. So that we don't become the chief speck picker outers. And in other words, we don't become modern day Pharisees. It's recognizing that the same measure to which we want to help other people in their walk is the same measure to which we need to evaluate ourselves. So the same measure to which you will be judged, the measure to which you will be discerned, the measure to which you have a condemning attitude is the same measure to which that will happen to you. And so if you, want, you don't want people to, to have a critical attitude towards you, then we don't have a critical attitude towards them. And the way we do that is moving from microscopes to looking in the mirror. And like James 1 talks about, it's The word is like looking into a mirror and someone who forgets what they look like and then goes off. But instead, it's using the word of God as a mirror and saying, God, I know there are going to be sermons and devotionals and Bible studies when I look in the mirror of your word and I realize the warts in my soul. But may I not forget who I am and may I not forget what you want to do in my life. May I remember that I need to be a doer of the word, not just someone who listens to it and says, oh yeah, I guess I have some warts and goes off and doesn't change anything. But to be a doer of the word, one who sees where steps need to be taken to remove the plank from our own eyes so that we can help other people by looking at ourselves first. To move from microscopes of others' intentions and actions to mirrors of our own. So we look at this idea, the first idea of equal measure, to have the same degree to which you judge others or are trying to help others, that you discern that within yourself. But now we're going to look at this idea of unequal measure. The question we ask here to evaluate how we are growing is, are we investing wisely? Now, to be clear, this has nothing to do with finances. This is not something where I'm going to give you, you know, some NASDAQ scores and some hot tips on what to do. Like, it's investing wisely relationally in people. Friends, this passage, this verse, verse 6, I could argue is one of the hardest verses that Jesus has said. Because here's what it says, and here's why it's difficult for us. It'll be on your screen. 
Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So we're reading this passage about how we ought to judge. You know, we don't judge other people with a critical attitude, but we do discern and we do figure out what does God need to do in us before we try to go and change other people. And then we have this passage where it's talking about we put, Jesus is calling people dogs. He's calling them pigs. He's saying, don't reach out to them. He's saying, don't tell them about things. What is the, what is the pearls? What is that which is sacred? It's, it's the idea of the gospel. And so what, what do we do with this Jesus? And when you find a passage that you struggle with or you wrestle with, and the moment or the section where there's tension is often the place where the Holy Spirit wants to work in us and wrestle with and see what does this mean? So, When we think about this idea, do not give to dogs what is sacred. The first thing is this idea of what is sacred. So remember, we got to use this, let's take a step back into 2,000 years ago to the ancient Near East and the idea of what sacred meant and holy meant. That Jesus is saying this to a group of people that understand what holiness is, that if they become defiled or if they become unclean, that they need to go through different cleansing rituals, they need to set themselves apart for a season, and then they could come back into community. I mean, the idea of staying holy and set apart and clean and sacred is vital to their understanding of what it means to follow God. So what they're saying here is don't give to dogs that which is sacred. In other words, there's a section when David goes uh, in 1 Samuel 21. He goes to the priest at Nob, and he ends up eating some of the, um, some of the sacred showbread. The bread that was reserved for the tabernacle, but he and his men, they eat it as they flee. And Jesus refers to this in, in the Gospels, and he talks about, did you see, because the, the Pharisees are coming after Jesus, and he says, listen, there are times when that's okay, but here's the thing. That sacred showbread, the reason that was such a, a, a struggle for the Israelite people was that that food, that showbread that David took was reserved for God. It was sacred So take a leap with me. Imagine saying, okay, I'm going to take that which is sacred. I'm going to take the the table of showbread, the bread that was dedicated to the Lord, and I'm going to take it with me, and I'm going to give it to dogs on the street. It's saying, it's emphasizing the fact that it's elevating the sacred. But when we look at our initial thought, my initial thought is saying, Jesus, why are you calling people dogs and pigs? But we also need to recognize that his holiness is above our ways. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And so acknowledging the fact that giving to dogs what is sacred would be not that, um, not that difficult for people in that season. Like, okay, yeah, I understand what you're trying to say. Second thing is the idea that dogs here is not what we think of our modern-day dogs. Like, this is a, a picture of my dog, our dog, Ember. And... He's just cute and smiling and great. This is not what it's talking about. It's not saying, hey, don't give treats to cute dogs that are kind. This, again, let's go back in time, 2,000 years ago, ancient Near East. Dogs are scavengers. Dogs are not like cute pets that are cuddly, they're dirty, they're diseased, and they scavenge around. In fact, what would more be a modern-day equivalent to what we would recognize as saying what, what Jesus is saying is the idea of a coyote. Now, 
in our, in our neighborhood recently, even earlier today, Steph sent me a picture. I didn't put it up, but there's a picture of coyotes that have just been roaming our streets. That sounds more ominous than it means to be. But, you know, they're, they're walking through the streets in broad daylight um, or in the middle of the night, and they're just they're scavenging. They're looking for food. And so Jesus is saying, would you take that which is holy, and would you give that to scavengers? Would you take the gospel and the beauty and the power of it. And by moving something sacred and giving it to dogs, it devalues the sacred. So would you devalue or would you lessen what the gospel means by putting it to people and sharing with people who have consistently showed you they have no interest? And we wrestle with that. We think, Lord, that still seems mean. But it is consistent with what Jesus says when he talks about he sends out his disciples two by two and says that if you go into a town and they will not listen to you and they are not open to the message, you leave and you shake the dust off of your feet as you go and you find people who would be open, who would be receptive, who would actually listen to the sacred power of the gospel. So it's talking about this idea, don't give to wild scavengers what is holy. Imagine if I had um, things that are most valuable to me. Let's say I grabbed um, Steph's wedding ring, my wedding ring, things like that. And let's say I had a bag and I shook it and there's scavenger coyotes that are coming up and they think that they're getting food. And then I go and I say, okay, you want to have a treat? And I go and I throw our rings down. And then the second they realize that's not food, do you think they'll just be like, oh, that was kind of you, but do you have anything else? This isn't my favorite meal. Or would they turn and would they attack? Would they say, I thought you were feeding me. I'm scavenging. I'm hungry. I'm starving. And I thought that you were going to do something that was going to help me, but I'm not even going to receive the value of what it is that you have. So that's what the passage here talks about. Let's go to the next slide, please. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That if we have the gospel... And we want to share, we're called to share with the people around us. There is no if, ands, buts, or questions about it. But if someone continuously just has no interest, and we invest so much time into someone who has no interest, would it not be a wise investment then to take a step back and still love that person, still care about that person, still pray for that person? But would it not make sense to say, are there other people in my life that are more open to receiving the sacred, holy power of the gospel. Are there not people who would be more open to it? So let's go back to these for a second. Let's imagine this is us. And let's imagine this is who we want to pour into. We want to share the gospel with them. But for the sake of argument, I didn't do this, but let's pretend that this one has a hole in the bottom. I I carve a hole in here. And so no matter how much I pour into this, it's just going to continuously seep out. It's just going to continuously leak out. And it will never be filled, never be satisfied. Does it make sense for me to just keep pouring this out and just keep seeing the message get lost and to keep seeing the power of the gospel be besmirched And to keep seeing people far from God, this person that's just, no matter what you do, it won't be enough. And so no matter how hard you try, it'll never satisfy. Would it not make sense to take a step back 
and say, for our example, these are each two cups, would it not make sense to instead see, are there more people that would be open that I could continue to pour into? And as I do that, the gospel can be spread to people that are more open to receive it. So we look at this idea of the anger that can happen, that the, people, the, 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 the pigs and the, and the dogs would turn and attack. There's an example here I want to share about how when you expect something good and someone gives you something not good, how it can create some negative experiences. So this, in 2013, a woman named Cheryl, in quotation marks, I don't know if that was her real name, in North Dakota, during uh, trick-or-treating, she would look and she would say, if there was a child who looked overweight to her, in her opinion, she would give this card instead of candy. It says this, happy Halloween and happy holidays, neighbor. You are probably wondering why your child has this note. Have you ever heard the saying, it takes a village to raise a child? I am disappointed in the village of Fargo-Moorhead, West Fargo in North Dakota. Your child is, in my opinion, moderately obese and should not be consuming sugar and treats to the extent of some children this Halloween season. My hope is that you will step up as a parent and ration candy this Halloween and not allow your child to continue these unhealthy eating habits. Thank you. Do you think that was well received by anybody who got that? People are like, oh, good, Cheryl in North Dakota is calling me up and raising me up my standard as a parent. Or do they want to trample her because of the insensitivity and because of the fact that she just was being just so unkind? Friends, I know this is hard. This is a passage that I wrestle with and I struggle with. But if I'm reading what Jesus is saying, He's saying that instead of trying to keep, again, still love someone, still pour into people, still care about people, still pray, but invest and honor the holiness of the gospel and how sacred it is to know the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, that if there's a hole in the bottom of this, and no matter how much you pour in, it's always just going to seep out. Is it not kind of us to say, okay, instead of trying to, Come after people and, and go and say, yes, I see that, you know, in my opinion, the reason you're receiving this note is because you are, are a moderately to awful sinner. And therefore, like, it's recognizing, it's recognizing the fact that if we invest our time relationally in people wisely, there's a moment in which we might realize there are people within our sphere that are hungry for what the gospel has to offer. And if we're not surrounded by people, or we don't have someone in that way, then maybe it's a moment for us to look in the mirror and recognize, are we living in such a way that it can make people hungry for the gospel, for the hope of eternal life? For the, are we living in such a way that people would say, hey, I know you could come down on me and you could judge and you could go be awful and condemn with a critical attitude, but I see that you work within your, like, you allow God to change your heart first. So you come at me not with retaliation and bitterness and anger, but you come at me with love that I don't understand. Can you tell me more about that? Craig Blomberg in his commentary about Matthew in this section says this, to be clear, Jesus is obviously not telling his followers not to preach to certain kinds of people. 
But he does recognize that after sustained rejection and reproach, it is appropriate to move on to others. Friends, that is a hard message to hear. But it's one that if we're going to invest wisely, relationally to the people in our lives, are we willing to say, not, I don't care about the other person, but do we care enough about the gospel and do we care enough about different people that will pour into them, whereas we would have the ability to find two different people or different people in order to share the power of the gospel with them? We've talked about equal measure, the idea that we want to move from microscopes to, uh, from microscopes to uh, mirrors. So we want to have the same measure. Then we talked about unequal measure. Let's, let's choose and be discerning to have the mindset to discern who are the right people in this right season to reach out to and to share the power of the gospel with and to potentially focus on them rather than those who have been constantly rejecting. The last one is we talk about not equal measure, not unequal measure, but lastly beyond measure. Are we, are you and me, are we embodying the golden rule? If we mark the measurements of our growth, are we investing wisely? Are we moving from microscopes to mirrors? And are we embodying the golden rule? Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, I highlighted this because the idea of ask, seek, and knock is in the present tense. So, so the idea is keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. It's not a one-time ask and then be done. Not a one-time seeking and be done or a one-time knocking. It's making that to be a, a pattern of your life to keep on asking God, to keep on seeking, and to keep on knocking. And the devotional that we're doing, um, uh, you know, everyone's invited, but a group of us have been doing on the uh, Bible app in this section. The idea is that you ask God, then you seek and you look around to see how he might be answering that prayer, and then you knock by taking some sort of action. And so... It's saying, like this passage, like, why are we talking about pearls before swine and, and dogs? And then all of a sudden, we're going to hit the golden rule. Like, why is this section in the middle? Why is there a section on encouraging us to be persevering in our asking and seeking and knocking? It's easy for us to ask once, but the perseverance, and we see Jesus talk about this with the persistent widow in the book of Luke, like, the one who keeps asking and keeps, even if the person who they're asking doesn't want to answer their request because of their persistence would. And if that's true for someone who doesn't want to answer, how much more, listen to that phrase, we're going to see it again in a moment, how much more does a loving father want to give what people ask, what they're seeking, and, what, and open the door when they knock? So again, I wasn't planning on this, but um, let's just show another picture of our dog. Um, this is um, what he does. Uh, he, this is what he wants his belly rubs. And so what he'll do is Steph and I or the kids, like we'll be talking in another room and we just hear in the other room like, Arr, and we look over and he's just like this. And he's looking around and he's wanting attention. The reason I took this picture very specifically is because we've all, the four of us have learned that there are times when he wants belly rubs. And he, want, you know, he wants that. There are other times when he does what we call he's a decoy. 
And he wants us to come over because he knows it's so irresistible to rub his belly. But once we do, what he really wants is to, we walk over and we're about to rub his belly and he jumps up and he grabs his toy and he wants to play. And the problem is, like, buddy, I've already played with you. I don't want to play with it anymore. But the more he just goes, and he keeps asking, like, fine, I'll rub your belly for a second. That's it. And then all of a sudden, he has a different chew toy, and I'm just standing or sitting somewhere, and he just puts the chew toy in his mouth and just nuzzles it into my hand. All of a sudden, I'm holding it, I'm playing tug. I'm like, I don't even know how this happened. And yet, here we are. He was persistent in asking, and so we kept playing. And it's this idea if he knows, we cannot resist to rub his belly, and he uses that as a decoy to get what he wants. Now, am I saying to, do we ask God and to be a decoy so that we could get what we want? No, no, no. But what I am saying is that through his persistence, he gets what he wants. Through our persistence, we will get what God deems that we need. God gives us the daily bread. He doesn't give us the daily filet mignon and everything we want. He gives us what we need in the moment. So we ask God. Maybe it's you ask for wisdom. You ask for peace. I mean, we see scripture talking about all these things we can ask. Seek. If we seek, we will find him. We see this in Matthew 7, but Jeremiah 29, 13, not 29, 11, which we all know, or many of us know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Two verses later, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. Not if you just seek me once. He says, if I, this is God talking again, if I am the object of your pursuit, you'll find me. And Jeremiah shares that with the people during a time of their exile in Babylon. This is not the season in which you would hear, expect to hear God say, I have the plans for you. It's going to be awesome. They're like, but we're in exile. And in verse earlier in Jeremiah 29, he says, and you're going to stay there, but I'll be with you. And if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart, if you keep on seeking with persistence. We continue on in the passage. Here's that, here's that phrase that we mentioned earlier, starting in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? When we're giving Elise her presence today, we're not going to give her things that we knowingly know that she would just despise. She's allergic to peanut butter and eggs. Like, could you imagine if we're like, we've got the best gift ever for you, peanut buttery eggs. And she's like, this is awful. No, 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 we're not doing that to harm. Why? Because we're parents that care about our child, and yet... Both our children, but in this case, giving a present to our youngest on her birthday. And if we could understand that, even though we know the depths of our depravity and the struggles that we all have, how much more does God want to give good gifts? Not health and wealth and everything that you think that you need or that you want, but what you truly need. How much more is our good father going to do this? So we're in this passage and it reminds us, that there are two ways that we can look at what this is. It's a, one idea could be this, just this concept of, okay, I, because, um, 
because I'm not going to judge someone and, and because I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. And I know that God's good and he asks me things and, and I'll, he can give them. But we might think, okay, well, then you know what I'm going to do? I don't want to judge people. So I'm just not going to do what I would not want done to me. In other words, verse 12 shows us the golden rule, but this is the negative of it. If verse 12 says this, and it's not on the screens right now, so just listen. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The opposite of that, or, or, or the inverse, I should say, is what Rabbi Hillel, who was, um, who was a, a Jewish scholar and a Pharisee close to the time of Jesus, says this. He says, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow creatures. That's the law. All, S, all else, excuse me, is explanation. It's the negative. It says, hey, if you wouldn't want someone to punch you in the face, just don't punch people. If you wouldn't want someone to steal, just don't steal from them. Again, that's, there's validity to that. But in this negative form, Robert Mount says it this way. In the negative form, the golden rule could be satisfied by doing nothing. The positive form moves us to action on behalf of others. If we just won't do the bad thing that we would have want done to us, then we may not do anything good for anyone. It's kind of like this live and let live. And just say, well, I'm just, you know, I, I won't offend you. You don't offend me. And then that's it. But the golden rule doesn't say just to not do what you don't want done to you. As we see here in verse 12, it says this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If, you're having, if someone gives you a harsh response and is angry and mean to you, what you wouldn't, you know, you would say, well, I'm just not going to do what I would want done to them, so I'm just going to not say something mean back. Okay, like there's validity to that. But to live by the golden rule means to do what you would want. So if someone gave an unkind word, it's to, I would like to have a, give a kind word to someone's unkind word because that's what I would want done for me. You see how it's more and bigger and harder than live and let live. It's love and be loved, even when that's hard. And so we think about this idea. Okay, we started off with thinking about we, we don't want to judge others. We want to have equal measure. Then we want to have unequal measure. These are not the right same size, but I'm still going to pour into people. But then when we look at this idea of how God has blessed us, how he answers prayers, how when we ask and keep on asking, when we seek and we keep on seeking, and we knock and we keep on knocking, that he shows us, he reveals, he gives, he opens the door, and it says how much more has God given us this idea that he's blessed us far more than we can imagine. It's far greater than what we can contain all on our own. It's recognizing that if he's given us all these things, but we're still living in a smaller mindset, and we're still thinking that it's our job to only view ourselves small and say, okay, well, I'm going to be the chief speck picker outer for others. It's saying, how do we measure growth? Are we, are we being the chief speck picker outer for other people? Are we evaluating and saying, okay, I've been given a lot and I want to spread it, invest it wisely? Or are we living in the blessing of the beyond measure that God has given us? Are we recognizing that the things that he could do, no, one could, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart could even fathom the plans that he has? Not because he's going to give us our daily filet mignon, but because he's going to give us what we need so that we can love those he's put in our lives. And so if we recognize the how much more of God then realize that he's given us so much 
And so for us to do unto others as we want them to do unto us, it means that we need to live filled to the measure of God's love. And we need to share filled to the measure that love with other people. We don't live small when God's blessed us big. We don't become chief speck picker outers when God has covered over all of our sin through the blood of Jesus. We live in the joy of new life, and we are new creations. And so if we are new creations, the same word that is the old is gone, the new has come, you are new creation. It's this idea of metamorphosis, and we talked about that years ago, but the idea of this metamorphosis takes place that you are no longer just a better caterpillar, you're a butterfly. So if God has blessed us and worked in our lives and saved us from our sins and shows us the depravity of our sin and then shows us the depths of his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, then we are can be overflowing with that love and be able to share that with those around us that when someone responds harshly to us, we don't just not do what we wouldn't want not done to us. We intentionally do to others what we wish would be done to us. There's a reason why it's called the golden rule because it is incredibly hard, but living that way is of such great value. And it cannot be done, or it's really hard to be done, outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, outside of God working in us. Because our natural thing is to repay evil for evil. So what does it look like to repay evil for good? We know what it looks like. It's what Jesus paid for us on the cross. That we gave sin and we lived far from him. And he repaid the evil in our hearts with a good sacrifice on Good Friday so that it wouldn't be about what we've done to earn a right relationship with God. It's because of what Jesus did for us and that through that, we have our hope in him. So friends, how do we measure growth? It's not height. It's not weight. It's not degrees that you've gotten or zeros at the end of your salary. It's, it's not what the world would say. How do we measure growth? Have we moved? Have we moved from microscopes to mirrors? Are we no longer judging people to the point where we're chief specker picker outers, but we're growing up? Are we investing in people wisely to the point where we are pouring into people who are receptive to the gospel because that's going to have a bigger impact for the gospel? And are we living in the light of the how much more God has done for us so that out of his overflow, that he came to give us life and life to the abundant, life to the full, are we loving others in that same way? Are we embodying the golden rule? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. And Lord, I recognize that with some of these verses that we talked about, a 40-minute sermon is, is hard to encapsulate. And, and Lord, I pray that any areas in which, um, in which I fell short or in which uh, the message was unclear, Holy Spirit, may you come around that and may you um, 
May you speak to each person in such a way where they know what it is that you're sharing and how it is that you want us to grow and how we can measure our growth in you. I pray that as um, we are challenged or encouraged or frustrated or, God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that we don't always understand it, but we can seek you first. And your scripture, all of it, is viable and good for teaching and correction and rebuke. And it's good for encouragement and helping us to draw close to you. So, Father, I pray that you are just working here in this time and help us to continue to grow and to measure our growth in living not in the chief speck picker outer, but in how much more, living in the light of the how much more you've given us so that how much more can we love and care for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.